Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. It is so good uh, to be here uh, with you today. I mean, sorry it took Pastor getting COVID for me to be here, but uh, hey, I'm glad to have you. Um, glad to be here uh, with you. I, right off the bat, I want you to hear from me. Thank you. I am your missionary, whoa, uh, I'm your missionary with the North American Mission Board uh, and the Florida Baptist Convention, as was said, uh, Director of Sin Network Florida. That's that church planting partnership. Churches plant churches. It's not denominations. We want to come alongside, just like how God leads you as Schindler Drive to do what God's leading you to do. Other Florida Baptist churches all across, how God's leading them in Fulfilling this great commission that he's called us to, we want to come alongside and help churches do that. And so churches that are wanting to be involved in church planting, uh, we can help them from that. From, you know, I mean, even things like, where are we going to get all the church planters that we need to plant all the, all the churches that we need? Let me just say, we need a bunch of church. It doesn't take long to drive around and you can just see gobs and gobs and gobs of people are just moving to Florida over and over and over. Millions upon millions. Uh, so we've got to have more churches. Where are, we going to, where are we going to find all the church planters? In our own pews, our seats right here. Um, in, in all of our churches. We can't wait until, okay... Um, after they get through seminary, then we'll begin to, to think about, well, they may be prepared and ready to go, but we've got to get the people prepared and how work in their life and how God's calling. So there's some things and how in working with churches to help in that, um, in that kind of a, that pipeline, that leadership pipeline, being a church planter, maybe even being a church planting team member. And uh, so, anyway, working with that, it, once we identify a planter, we help that church lead them through a very intense assessment process. And uh, they come out with a growth plan. We help them with training and coaching, care over their first five years of their plant, um, a significant financial support for that planter, for their family. Um, over uh, the first five, uh, over four years of that, the first four years of that plant, where does all that financial resources come to help? Churches just like you across Florida Baptist Convention, across um, um, the uh, North America, um, a portion of your offerings each each week here at Schindler go to support the cooperative program. There's a good piece of that cooperative program goes to support uh, the North American Mission Board and Florida Baptist Convention as we come along partner. At Easter, when we do the Easter offering for North American Missions, 100% of that goes in uh, efforts just like this. So, hear me when I say thank you. I know Schindler, you do a faithful job uh, just just regularly, continually, sacrificially giving and supporting. And so just wanted to give you an update from the field and let you know how it's appreciated, how God is using it. You know, I talked about this whole intense process that these planters go through. Just this past year, we had 69 planters go through that process who launched last year. 69 church plants. We had 75 plants across Florida that launched, but 69 of them went through this uh, SIN Network assessment process to get in on all of those things. And so um, 
That's significant things that are happening and you're a part of every one of it. Now let me tell you about one last thing that we're going to get into the Word. There's one of the, to kind of bring it home, you know, all of these. There's one that's launching this morning. James Blewett um, in, in Tampa, Florida. They are launching right now. 10.30 was their start time today uh, in Tampa, launching Extraordinary Church. They've been working for months with their core team, getting ready for their launch this morning. So I want us to pray for Dr. James Blewett and his wife, Heather, and uh, the, their work that they're doing and their launch that's happening right now. So let's pray, and then we'll get in the Word. Lord, thank You. Thank You for the opportunity to just to, to be here today and worship. And Lord, we do praise your name forever and you are worthy. Lord, we stop and, and we say thank you for who you are and how you're working in our lives. Lord, I want to say thank you to this church, uh, Pastor Jonathan, his leadership, and, and um, Lord, just how you're using them. Lord, just continue to bless and take care of them. Um, Lord, specifically, we stop and we pray uh, for um, church planter James Blewett, his wife Heather, as they uh, begin to, that whole team launches Extraordinary Church today in Brandon, Florida. And uh, they're in the midst of going right now. Lord, just move mightily, new relationships. And um, Lord, we pray that some new relationships with you would begin today. And Lord, that's our prayer for what you want to do in this place right here today. And for those that are watching online, Lord, work in our hearts. Draw us near to you. We want to hear from you. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I just want to be very clear. Why do we plant churches? Why do we plant churches? Why do we need to get the gospel to the ends of the earth? It's because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through Him. Jesus is the way. It's important. He's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. Now, John one twenty nine is going to be our main verse that we are uh, going to look at today. John one twenty nine. There's another verse that's going to kind of go along with it. And these kind of two verses are going to be our key anchor verse. And then we're going to look at uh, some other ones to help unpack that truth. But first, let's read John one twenty nine. The next day, John, by the way, this is John the, John the Baptist that is talking about in John one twenty nine, not John the Apostle who wrote the gospel um, here, the gospel according to John. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John the Baptist said that, every Hebrew listener, every Jewish ear heard something that goes beyond our typical understanding. You know, when I say, Hey, behold the Lamb of God, we think, Okay, <laughs> behold the Lamb of God. But for them, listen, they had been looking for the Lamb. Their parents had been looking for the lamb. 
Their parents' parents had been looking for the lamb. Their grandparents' grandparents had been looking for the lamb. They had been looking for the lamb all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament. And so when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, man, their ears perked up. What are you saying? Because they've been looking. So to help us understand what's really going on in the mind of those Hebrew listeners when they heard that, we're going to look at a couple of different places in Scripture uh, here today. So maybe if you're familiar like with the old sword drill kind of thing, so keep your Bible out because we're going to, going to actually uh, work it today. And so uh, you follow along with me. But you've got John one twenty nine. But let me give you another verse to keep in mind uh, as we go and pack all of these other verses. And that's Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22 says, And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of our sin. So, keep that in mind. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And then we're going to unpack these different verses. Let's start all the way in the book of Genesis. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Again, trying to get in, uh, trying to understand what's going on in the minds of these Hebrew believers uh, or these, um, these, these uh, Jewish listeners when they heard John say that. So, in Genesis 3, this is the passage where God created Adam and Eve. God had given them everything that they needed there in the Garden of Eden, but Satan came and he lied to them. Well, Satan's still lying today. Matter of fact, Jesus said about him, he's a liar and the father of lies. God gave Adam and Eve a choice. Listen, he gives us a choice, but they chose to um, believe the lie and disobey uh, God. And as a result of that, Genesis chapter 3 when you read it, you realize that Adam and Eve became acutely aware of their sin and shame covered over them. And in that moment, as that shame covered over them, they, they, they realized they were naked. Now, they had been naked before, but in their innocence, they didn't know it. But now, in their sin, because of their sin, they became aware of it, and they were just overcome with shame. Look at what Genesis 3, verse 7 says. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they're trying to cover their nakedness. They're trying to cover their shame. You know, I don't know what kind of seamstress Eve was. Okay? I don't know what kind of ensemble she put together. I'm sure it was spectacular. I'm sure it was one of a kind. I'm sure it was, I mean, it, it was impressive. But listen... It wasn't what God wanted them to have. The, the verse I really want you to notice is down in verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Okay? The Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. He covered their sin. He covered their shame. Now, 
the Bible doesn't specifically tell us where God got those skins that He used to cover them, but the Talmud does. Now, again, we're, we're trying to get in mind what's going on in the, the minds of these Jewish believers. Well, in the, you know, in, in, in the Jewish faith, there are two very important books. You've got the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, the Talmud, which is the, uh, the, the book of Jewish teachings, and the Talmud says, that those skins came from a lamb. So if that's true, what we have here is the very first picture in the Bible of God using a lamb to cover over our sin. Let me take you to a, a, another reference here in Genesis before we move on. Move over to uh, Genesis chapter 22. Chapter 22. In Genesis 22, here's a, a, another example helps us understand and unpack what was going on in that Jewish mind when they heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Genesis 22 is the account of Abraham going to Mount Moriah. God had given Abraham a word. He told him to take his son to Mount Moriah and to offer him as a sacrifice. Parents, can you even imagine the agony of, of knowing you had heard from God, this is what He told you to do. That's what Abraham, he, this is his dearly loved son. He knew that he had heard from God. But to, I mean, to obey God? would be to destroy his son. But if he was going to disobey God, it would just destroy that relationship uh, there to, to disobey God. And so he's torn. He gets to Genesis 22. Abraham, he gets his servants together, his provisions. He and Isaac make their way toward Mount Moriah. Maybe somewhere along the way, they stop and cut the wood that they're going to need for the sacrifice. And, and I can just imagine with that axe, with every hammer of that axe, as he's, he's splitting that wood to, to, to get ready. It's just like it just pounds and, and cuts in his, in, in his heart because he knew what he was going to do. He was going to sacrifice his son. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Genesis 22, 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go up yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, that, that ceremonial knife to, to, to be used. He took that knife and the two of them went together. Now Isaac's pretty observant. Look at verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood... But where is the lamb for that burnt offering? That's the question. Where is the lamb 
for a burnt offering. It's the question the world has been asking from the very beginning. Where is the lamb? Where's the lamb? Where is the lamb? And so that's why when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, behold, the lamb of God. You've been looking for thousands of years. Here he is. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Go back to verse 7. But Isaac said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8. Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. They came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac and, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the ceremonial knife to, to slay his son. I can't even imagine the agony that Abraham was going through. And just about as he was, uh, just about as he was to plunge the knife, verse 11 says, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham, stop! You don't need to do this. You just need to know, and so do we, that, that God has the right to demand our very best. And the angel said, God wanted to know that you'd be willing to do uh, what he told you to do. That you'd be willing to be obedient and do anything and everything he told you to do. But stop. You don't have to do this. Pick it up in verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. By the way, a ram is an adult male sheep. A lamb is one under one year old. So Abraham, he took that ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son, verse 13 says. Why did Abraham do that? Because he already understood without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of our sin. Why did God... Kill that lamb to make clothing for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no remission. Let me show you one other place in the Old Testament, and then we're going to go look in the, the New Testament. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. The very next book over from Genesis. Exodus chapter 12. It's a familiar passage. Movies been made uh, uh, describing uh, the events here. God told Moses to go back to Egypt, and Moses was to get God's people, and he was to go take them to Canaan, the promised land. In essence, Moses and Pharaoh get involved in the tug of war. Moses would say, on behalf of the Lord, let my people go. And um, Pharaoh would argue about it and God would send a plague and finally Pharaoh would relent and say okay you can go and then Pharaoh would end up changing his mind and so it was back and forth and it was back and forth and back and forth and finally God said this is what I'm going to do 
this night I'm going to send my death angel. And any person who takes the blood of a spotless lamb and puts it over the doorpost, the door frame of his house, the death angel will know that you belong to me and the death angel will pass over your home. That's where um, the, the term for the Jewish Passover comes from, this event right here. But any home that did not have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, the death angel would come and kill the firstborn. Well, let's read exactly how the Bible says it in Exodus 12. And we'll pick it up in verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast. So note, it's listen, it's, it's not just the little boys, it's the animals too. The firstborn of both man and beast, and against all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Why did God do that through Moses? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of our sin. And so when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb. Here is the Lamb. You've been looking. Here is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In that moment, those people, they begin to understand something. Take your Bibles and go almost all the way to the end of the New Testament, to uh, the epistle of 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but the uh, Epistle of 1 John. First John, find chapter 1. You know, I keep talking about the blood, and a lot of times we sing about the blood. Pastor Jonathan preaches on the blood. If you ever wonder, why, why the blood? I mean, this just kind of sounds kind of gory. Why, why are you all hung up on the blood? Let me show you what the blood of Jesus does for us in a couple of uh, passages right here. First look at 1 John 1 verse 7. 1 John 1 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. What does the blood of Jesus Christ do? It cleanses us from all sin. You see, we've got a sin problem. Every single one of us, me, you, every person on this earth, we have a sin problem. Sin has stained our lives. And truly, the root of every problem in life finds its cause right here, its root in, 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 in sin, death, illness, everything. Now, I'm not saying that it's personal to you. You get a disease because you sin. Pastor Jonathan got COVID this week because he got out of line and God said, Pfft. That's not what I'm saying. God punishes you because you do something and He gives you a disease or sickness. What I'm saying is, from the very beginning, God made you to have a relationship with Him. And because 
mankind sinned in the beginning, disease, death, suffering, all of those things came as a result of sin. And sin has stained us. We've got a sin problem. It stained us. But 1 John 1, 7 says the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Look down to verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. Let me show you in another passage something else that the blood of Jesus Christ does. In addition to cleansing us, turn. let's, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. So back to the left a little bit. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Go to Ephesians 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, find verse 13. Here's what the blood of Jesus Christ does for us. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, brought near by the blood of Christ. Friend, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that brings us near, that brings us into a relationship with the God who loves us so much. Blood of Jesus brings us near to God. You remember, you remember back in... Um, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, before, um, before Jesus, you know, uh, there was, the, there was the, the tabernacle and the temple, and um, you had the Holy of Holies in the middle of the temple. There was a veil that was separated from everything else. The, the Holy of Holies has the very dwelling place of God right there. Now, the people couldn't get... Up close to it, there was a veil that separated everywhere else where everybody else could come. The only one who could go into the very presence of God was the high priest. Now, he couldn't just waltz in there anytime he wanted to. He could only go in there one time of year on the Day of Atonement. Um, Yom Kippur, he could only go in there on the Day of, uh, of Atonement. Um, it's, um, it, um, and, and, and even then on the, the, um, the, the Day of Atonement, he couldn't just, okay, I'm going to hang out here all day. It was like only three hours that one time. So, back then, only one person could be brought near to God. They could, only one person could really get near to God, His very presence. And then, just one time a day, for three hours, that one day. But... When Jesus died on the cross, you remember the Bible says that that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, that the veil was torn in two. It was, it was very significant. God was giving us a symbol. I'm taking this separation out of the way. Now everybody can be brought near to the presence of God. It's a it, it, matter of fact, it's significant even how the Bible describes how the way the veil was torn. It wasn't torn from the bottom up, something that man could do. Scripture says it was torn from the top to the bottom, something that only God can do. And so it's very significant. God symbolizing, He wants 
to be near. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. He wants to draw you. So Jesus came to tear that veil so that you could have a close, near, personal relationship with God. So that's the second thing. The blood cleanses us. It allows us to be brought near to God. Now let me take you to one last book. Go all the way to the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. We all need to hear what this passage says. Revelation 12 verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. Who's the accuser? Satan. The devil. And I've got news for you. He's still accusing. Okay? He'll crawl up on your shoulder before this day is over and tell you, listen, God could never forgive you. God couldn't use you. God couldn't forgive you. God could never save you. You've gone too far. You've stayed too long. You've done too much. He may forgive other people, but you can just forget about it. You can forget about it. He'll never forgive you. He'll tell you God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. He might tell you all kinds of things like that because He is the accuser of the brethren and He hates you. Well, look at this passage at what it says. Verse 10. The accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Friend, we have conquered the accuser through the blood of Jesus Christ. Friend, when He accuses you and tells you God doesn't love you, when He accuses you and tells you God can't use you, God would never forgive you, God would never save you, you can't be uh, forgiven, there's nothing on the other side of death. Friend, you claim, you plead the blood of Jesus, it is His shed blood that stops the accusations of the enemy. Now let's go to one last place. Stay in Revelation, but go back to chapter 5 for just a minute. Now if you want to do some further study, it's, it's, it's a great study just to look in the book of Revelation all the times that John the Apostle refers to Jesus as the Lamb just in the book of Revelation. 25 times in 27 verses, and no, we're not going to go through all of them. Okay, this last passage right here. But it's a fascinating study. If you want to do some on your own, you can go look at it. Where G John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. But let's look at this one right here. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. I believe it will be a blessing to you. And I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a Lamb as though it had been slain. Who do you think that is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy. Why do we sing praises? Because He's worthy. Folks, we're practicing what we're going to be doing in heaven for eternity. He is worthy. 
It says here, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand. And thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever then the four living creatures said Amen And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. Folks, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of our sin. You know, as I... Think about all the different passages we studied this morning. I I can just imagine some, maybe some scenarios, some conversations that 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 went on. Uh, Let me just think back to one as I as I think back in that passage in 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 Exodus twenty two with the Passover. You know, Scripture doesn't specifically say this, but just in my my mind, I can envision some possible conversations that may have taken place. One, Pharaoh's little boy comes. He's been out playing with some friends that afternoon. He comes in and says, Daddy, do you know somebody named Moses? <laughs> do I know Moses? Yeah, I know Moses. Little boy says, Well, Daddy, I've, I've heard some of my friends say that Moses said, tonight a death angel is coming. Yeah, that's what Moses said. Little boy replied, well, when the death angel comes, he said that the firstborn in every house is is going to die. And and, and daddy, I'm I'm your firstborn and I don't want to die. What about me? I can just imagine Pharaoh saying, don't worry about that. That's Moses. He's a little crazy anyway. Okay, don't worry about Moses. And besides, you're in the safest place in the world. You're here in the house of Pharaoh. Matter of fact, I, I'm just going to put some extra guards around your room. Son, you go on to bed tonight and you don't worry about a thing. You're going to be just fine. Sometime way over in the night, Pharaoh heard a scream and he came running. His son was gone. And Pharaoh learned that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there's no forgiveness of sin. Perhaps over in the camp of the Hebrews, there was another conversation that went something like this. Little boy comes up to his dad. Dad, did you hear what Moses said? Yeah, son, I heard what Moses said. Well, dad, I'm the firstborn and I'm, I'm scared. Well, son, I... I've done the best that I could do. I mean, we, we just don't have a lamb that we can afford to sacrifice. And I, and I don't really think you need to kill it. 
anyway. I know that's what Moses said, but I don't really think you need to do that. Here's what I've done. I've taken one of our lambs and I've tied him to the doorpost. I think that'll be enough. I mean, I think that, you know, I know it's not the way God said to do it, but I think that's going to be enough. I think that when the death angel comes over and he sees that lamb tied to the doorpost, that he'll know that we belong to him and that'll be good enough. He'll just pass over. Sometime way over in the night, that dear man heard a scream and he ran to that room and he came to understand without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. Then there was a little boy who came to his dad and said, I heard what Moses said. Have you heard? Yes, son, I've, I've heard. Well, daddy, I'm your firstborn. I know you are, son, and I love you with all my heart. Dad, I'm scared. He said the firstborn is going to die. And I can just hear the dad say, no, son. It, he said the firstborn is going to die unless... There's the blood of a lamb on the doorpost. And I can just envision that dad saying, let me show you something. And he takes his son by his hand and takes him to the front of the house. And he says, look, son, I took the best lamb we had. I took the best one of the flock, the one without spot or blemish, because you are my firstborn and I love you with all of my heart. And I sacrificed that lamb. I spread his blood on the door frame, the doorpost of our house, because that's what God said to do. Son, you go on to bed tonight and you don't worry about a thing. I've done exactly what God said to do. He did that because he knew without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there's no forgiveness of our sin. I'm so thankful you're here today, but I'm not naive enough to think that in a group this size, or even everyone who's watching online, that everyone has fully dedicated their life to Christ. Some may, you may be here, you're, you're learning, you may say, okay, I, I'm coming, I, I'm hearing what Christians are saying. But I've got other friends that say other things. Christians say this, but this group says that, and this group says that. You know, I'm, I'm just a spiritual person. And that's going to be enough. I think God's going to accept me just as I am. He He's loving. I don't think I have to do it exactly the way the Bible says. I'll do it my way. And, and, and I think God will accept that. Friend, hear me. One day you are going to stand before God and you'll be without excuse. I'm telling you, friend, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His name is Jesus and He loves you. And He's done everything. To cleanse your sin. To bring you near to God. He's done everything. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away my sin. There's an old hymn we used to sing a lot. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's a great question for each of us to answer this morning. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb?
You remember that moment, that time that you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin? To wash away that stain of sin? That verse that we read earlier, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've not done that, do it right now, this morning. You can be saved. You can be brought near to God. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved. And if you're here today and you say, yeah, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Praise God I am. Amen. Let's rejoice in it. But let's be renewed in our commitment to take this good news that He is the one and only way to the ends of the earth. Listen, there is no other way. And how are they going to know unless we tell them? So let's be renewed in our efforts to go take the good news to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray for someone that could not say, yes, I'm I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I pray that right now they would just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I don't want to just do it my way or think I'm just, I'm spiritual. I want to do what the Bible says do. Lord, save me. I turn from my sin. I confess that you died on the cross. You rose again on the third day. I give you my life. Forgive me and save me. Wash me. Lord, I thank you that you promised, you said you would. You would cleanse our sin. You'd bring us near. And I pray that somebody would do that right now. Lord, I pray for others that that say, yes, I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, help us. Lord, to then just be renewed in our commitment to take that good news to everyone. Our neighbors. Those we don't know. Those across this great state, nation, and around the world. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Lord, there is no other way. Help us to be renewed in that commitment.